0: There is one committee where the chair of that committee is elected by the council, and that's the Planning and Zoning Committee. And then there's the confirmation of the Metro Legal Director, Wally Dietz, who is a holdover from the Cooper administration. And then there's funding for school resource officers, which has been kind of a contentious topic.
1: Nicole, you're dressed very professionally you normally wear a sweatshirt and jeans what's up
0: my fashion choices are outside of your jurisdiction counselor this attire is entirely appropriate for the forthcoming colloquy in which we are about to engage
1: colloquy last time it was a communication. nicole what's going on here
0: If it pleases the court, I appear before your honor today to present a series of cases regarding the Metro Council proceedings of October 17th, 2023.
1: Wait, weren't we doing a whole soap opera thing?
0: No, this is a courtroom drama.
2: In the Metro Council, the people are represented by 40 distinct yet equally important
1: members. These are their stories
0: to get lawyerly
1: Nicole the only thing I know about lawyers is that they can be expensive and the more expensive they are the better chance you'll need them
0: well Khalil I have some expertise in this arena I used to work at a law firm so I know just enough to be dangerous I have walked the hallowed halls I flipped the pages of many a brief I've had a prime position at a deposition so regardless of your supposition, I'll continue with my rendition.
3: All right, next is a uh, Metropolitan uh, Director of Law appointment of Mr. Wallace Deeds. Director Deeds, thank you so much for being here.
0: As the Director of Law, Wally is essentially the head of the city's legal team. He's appointed by the mayor and his department provides legal advice to other Metro departments, to the mayor's office, and to the council, and they represent the city in legal matters in court.
1: But we just got a new mayor, so does Wally stay on?
0: Mayor Freddie O'Connell has decided to keep him on, but the council still has to confirm that appointment. If a majority of the members' votes no, the mayor has to try again with someone new.
1: Okay, paint the picture of this case for me.
0: Sure thing but the first thing you need to know is that Wally's origin story is surprisingly intertwined with Metro's origin story.
4: I actually am old enough to remember the first day that Metro came into
1: existence.
0: The year is 1962, the same year that skiing was invented.
1: What 1962 universe is this?
0: Wait a second. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Nope, um, Italian Unification, Lay Miz. Invention of Skiing, well, that's certainly not going to work.
1: Nicole, did you write this script thinking it was 1862?
0: <laughs> you know, it sure seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, as I was saying, the year is 1962 the centennial anniversary of the invention of skiing. Nice save. Thank you. Change is afoot in Davidson County and the city of Nashville. They are two separate governmental entities voting to unite under one singular metropolitan government, and a young boy is there to witness it.
1: Let me guess, is that little boy Wally Dietz?
0: Well, you ruined my big reveal, but yes. Wally Dietz is seven years old, and he's watching his father work furiously on a media strategy that will persuade the public to vote in favor of combining Davidson County and the city of Nashville into one government. The stakes are high, because just four years prior, the public voted against such a plan.
1: So it passed this time, right?
0: That's right. Wally's dad must have done a good job because by the next year, we had a unified government with a metro charter, which is basically our Magna Carta, you know, our founding document, and a code of ordinances, which is a list of all of our laws.
1: So Wally's dad helped form the government that Wally now works for?
0: I know, I know. It sounds like a Nepo baby situation, but it's not at all that. Here's how Wally explains it.
4: I practiced law um, first with a, uh, as a law clerk for a
2: federal judge, Tom Wiseman, and then at the law firm Basperian Sims for
5: 38 years. Then unexpectedly, the mayor called me and asked me to take this job a little over two years ago. So I've been in this position since uh, the end of June 2021, and it's been
1: a terrific honor for me to serve. Feel some drama coming.
0: Your spidey sense is correct. For the past couple of months, the internet has been abuzz with controversy over the Department of Law, Wally's department, the one he's led for the past two years. Lots of accusations have been flying around and it all came to a head with an incendiary email from a local attorney, Daniel Horowitz. At 1244 AM, the morning of the council meeting, Horwitz dropped a major bomb.
1: Dear Vice Mayor Henderson and members of the Metro Council, I write you regarding the proposed
2: selection of Wally Dietz as Metro's legal director. Though I have no expectation that this body will care about the relentless malfeasance in the Department of Law, I urge this body to demand that the mayor select a
1: better candidate. All the best, Daniel Horowitz, Esquire. That's some heavy stuff. How did Director Wally Dietz respond?
0: Funny you should ask that. Your Honor, at this point, I would like to enter into the record the defendant's first piece of evidence, Director Dietz's appearance before the Metro Council Rules, Confirmations, and Public Elections Committee.
4: I have a question um, related to the letter that we received today, and I don't know if you know about it or had a chance to read it.
5: Unfortunately, I didn't.
2: Mr. Horowitz has cherry picked bits and pieces and given, frankly, a,
6: um, it's misleading at least, if not more. I have a question for you with regards to initiation.
0: Do
4: you have any thoughts on that? Are you frustrated? Is this just me being frustrated? What What is your approach to ensuring that you hire diverse attorneys? And What are some of your goals about
1: how to improve the department? It's a great, great question. After all that, I don't know if I would even want the job, but he got confirmed, right?
0: Yes, the council voted almost unanimously to confirm his appointment as director of law, but four council members abstained from the vote.
1: So I guess you could say that the jury found in favor of Wally Dietz. That's right. Case closed. Oh, I know that sound. It's time for the next case. Case number
3: 230002. Head versus heart.
1: Oh, heart always.
3: Same, same.
1: And this is Is why we're not politicians. Okay, so what's at stake in this case?
0: Well, the council had to vote to elect a planning and zoning committee chair.
3: Okay, colleagues, we have two nominees for the two-year term position of our Planning Commission uh, Representative and Planning Committee Chair. They are Councilwoman Emily Benedict and Councilwoman Jennifer Gamble.
0: They're basically
3: polar opposites. Councilmember Gamble represents a district
0: in the northern part of the county. It's largely suburban and rural. She's also a member of the council's minority caucus, and I'd describe her as slightly right of center. Councilmember Emily Benedict represents an East Nashville district that's mostly urban. She's the chair of the council's LGBTQ caucus and one of the more progressive members of the council. Councilwoman Benedict,
4: you are recognized. Thank you, Madam Vice Chair, and thank you, Councilmember Parker, for the nomination. I am Councilmember Jennifer Gamble, and I'm interested in serving as your planning and zoning committee chair for the next two years. I believe that planning and zoning is one of the most important things that we as council members do for our constituents. I believe that I have the experience and leadership skills to do this, uh, serve in this capacity. People's properties and homes are typically the largest investments that. that they have. My goal is to equip council members, developers and the general public. We also need to make sure zoning remains unchanged in the importance of addressing our affordable housing crisis while keeping prices down so that existing residents can stay. And I ask for your support. I ask for your support. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay, so the council is voting between the two candidates. Does that make the council members the jury in this situation?
0: Yep. This is essentially a 40-member jury of your peers. As a council member about to make this vote, you're having to navigate some pretty complex politics. Sometimes you've got to choose between your head and your heart, which is especially tough for the 19 new council members who, you know, they're just not used to balancing those competing interests the veterans are more used to thinking 27 moves ahead, engaging in side conversations with other members, and ultimately making sure that their first move won't lead to an early checkmate.
1: Because you have to work with these people for the next four years.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So one of those side conversations happening before the vote was in the minority caucus.
1: WHICH JENNIFER GAMBLE IS A MEMBER OF.
0: YES. SO, I WASN'T THERE FOR THIS DISCUSSION, BUT AS I UNDERSTAND IT, THE MINORITY CAUCUS TOOK A VOTE EARLIER THIS TERM TO SUPPORT COUNCILMEMBER GAMBLE. THEY BASICALLY DECIDED TO THROW ALL 13 OF THEIR VOTES BEHIND HER AND VOTE AS A BLOCK. COUNCILMEMBER QUANTE TOOMBS, THE CHAIR OF THE MINORITY CAUCUS, EXPLAINED THAT DECISION TO ME IN THIS STATEMENT.
3: The Minority Caucus is a diverse group of elected officials who represent a variety of interests. However, we are united in our commitment to serving the minority communities of Nashville. As the Minority Caucus, we understand that we are stronger when we vote together as a block. By doing so, we amplify our voices and make sure that our priorities are heard. We are pleased to have supported Councilwoman Jennifer Gamble to serve as the chair of the Metro Council Planning and Zoning Committee. We are confident that Councilwoman Gamble's experience and leadership skills will make her an outstanding chair of the Planning and Zoning Committee.
1: That wasn't the real Councilmember Toombs, was it?
0: No, that was an actor. I needed a break.
1: Got it, got it. So basically, a demonstration early on in the term that the minority caucus can and will vote together to accomplish their priorities.
0: Correct. But here's the thing. Remember Councilmember Delicia Porterfield, the fierce but kind former teacher?
7: Um, our newer colleagues are just learning the process. So if we could just have a little bit of grace uh, tonight so that we can help our colleagues to understand the process, it will be very much appreciated.
0: She actually broke with the caucus and voted for Emily
1: Benedict. She went with her heart?
0: It seems that way. But she's kind of a low-key master strategist, so no matter what decision she makes, I always assume she's planning for that 28th move.
1: Did Delicia's vote make a difference?
0: Jennifer Gamble still won by 10 votes. But when it comes to head versus heart, I think we have a hung jury. We might have to retry the case on a future
1: vote. Okay, so mistrial on this one. Yes. I feel our next case coming.
3: Case number 230003, Council Member Jeff Preptit versus the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department.
6: Our
0: next case involves a new addition to the progressive wing of the minority caucus. His name is Jeff Preptit, and he's a... Let me guess. He's a
2: lawyer. I can speak a little bit to legal training because I used to do it.
0: Yep, you guessed it. And as a lawyer, Councilmember Prepteat is very familiar with arguing a case. This particular case has pitted him against the wishes of the police department.
6: Now, I have considerable issue with the uh, memorandum of understanding that is in place between MNPD and MNPS.
0: The topic of contention is a resolution accepting... Wait,
1: wait, wait a second. What's a resolution? Is this more legalese?
0: You know what, Khalil, I'm glad you asked that. Remember when we talked about the formation of the Metro Code? Let's dig into it.
3: Listen closely.
1: Why are we whispering? And why are we in a classroom?
3: I don't know. The script goes where it wants to go. Okay, class. There are two ways our Metro Council exercises its legislative authority. Ordinances and resolutions. We'll start with ordinances. An ordinance, sometimes referred to as a bill, usually modifies the Metro Code of Ordinances.
1: Am I supposed to know what the Metro Code of Ordinances is?
3: Yeah, I think it's gonna be on the test. Let's step out of the classroom for a sec. Okay.
0: So. Let me explain. Remember when Metro Council was formed in 1963?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one of the council's first acts as a legislative body was to pass a code of ordinances, the Metro Code for short. It's a collection of all of our local laws, and it's made up of a bunch of different chapters that govern various aspects of how the government functions and what we require of residents.
1: Got it. Can you give me an example?
0: Sure. So one thing that affects a lot of folks are the noise ordinances, particularly construction noise. We limit when noisy construction work can be performed, and residents can file complaints if the rules aren't being
1: followed. Okay, that makes sense. So an ordinance would change something about an existing ordinance, or maybe add new sections to the Metro Code, or delete existing sections.
0: Exactly. One of my favorite examples of this is an ordinance passed in 1969 that required businesses to pay for a dance permit if they wanted to allow dancing on the premises.
1: No dancing? I wonder why the prom sucked. Wait, is that still on the books?
0: No. Thanks to former council member Dave Rosenberg, who sponsored an ordinance to delete that section of the code in 2016, we are all free to dance, no permit necessary.
1: Okay, so you've got ordinances, and then you've got resolutions.
3: As I was saying, resolutions don't modify the metro code. Most resolutions either make a statement of the council's position on something. We call those memorializing or non-binding resolutions. Or they direct a metro department to do something, like accepting a grant. The council has also determined some other things they can do by resolution.
1: So resolutions are a kind of catch-all for everything that doesn't have to be done by ordinance?
3: Well done, Khalil. You've been paying attention. Now what makes these two legislative actions, ordinances and resolutions, different? Nicole? Um, Well, actually the biggest difference between these two actions
0: is the amount of time they take. Ordinances have to go through three readings at the council, which basically means the council has to vote on ordinances three separate times at three separate meetings. Resolutions, on the other hand, only require one reading, one vote.
3: Yes! Now let's turn to page 365 in our textbooks.
1: Okay, I think I've got it now. Can we return to our regularly scheduled program? Yeah, let's get out of here.
0: So... Back to our case, Councilmember Jeff Prepteat, Esquire, versus the police department. The resolution at issue in the case would authorize the police department to accept a grant from the state for about $3.4 million in school resource officer salaries.
6: What I want to do is just give a brief report on on what information we received out of committee. So currently in MNPS schools, we have 62 SROs placed in schools. So those are SROs that are currently
1: funded through our budget. SROs, that's a pretty contentious topic. Does accepting this grant mean more SROs in schools?
0: No, that would be a decision the school board would have to make. This grant just reimburses the police department for $3.4 million of the money they spend paying SRO salaries.
1: And I take it Councilmember Prepteat opposed this. What sort of argument did he make to his colleagues?
0: His main argument against accepting the funding was his concern over the policies that govern how school resource officers work within the schools.
6: I think that we as a body need to explore how to better um, place policies that focus on non-carceral solutions and and, uh, that focus not on criminalizing simple school disciplinary actions. There is a section within the MOU that specifically states that SROs shall not act as school disciplinarians, but in the very next paragraph, it says that the basic duties of SROs are to provide assistance for disruptive students. I find issue with that. I think that disruption is a classroom issue that should be dealt in the classroom and that we should not be funneling our children through the prison industrial complex.
1: All right, so how did the vote turn out? Who prevailed?
0: The police department prevailed as they
3: nearly, basically always do. The motion passes, 23 in favor, 12 against, and two abstentions. Thank you for the discussion, colleagues. But the vote did signal quite a shift in the council
0: the progressives were able to garner 12 votes against the resolution and two abstentions. 23 people voted in favor of the resolution. In the previous council term, I think that number would have been closer to 30.
1: Wow. So that progressive wave folks talked about during the election might be showing itself.
0: I think so, but only time will tell. Until then, court is adjourned.
2: Next time on Inside the Council Chambers, an early piece of legislation over license plate readers will it prove controversial. And an attempt to change the rules regarding street vendors could prevent downtown vendors from draping a python around
1: your neck. Pythons? Really?
0: Downtown Nashville just ain't what it used to be.
1: Thank you so much, Nicole Williams, for this week's Inside the Council Chambers. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with author Jerome Moore about his new segment that explores how Nashville is diverse but segregated. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil a. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Right now, we're going to introduce you to a new recurring segment for the show. Nashville is a growing city with many different communities represented in the neighborhoods we live in. But if you take a closer look, how many of the spaces in the city are truly diverse? Think about that for a second. Do you see diverse crowds on Broadway? How about Jefferson Street? How about where you live? These are questions that Jerome Moore has been asking. Jerome is an explorer of social change. You may know his podcast, Deep Dish Conversations, which are all based on the idea of social change. He also has a television show with Nashville Public Television titled A Slice of the Community. When he and I first met, we talked about the diversity of Nashville, and he, being born and raised here, said to me that Nashville is diverse but it is diversely segregated. So that's what we're calling this segment, Diversely Segregated with Jerome Moore. I'd like to welcome Mr. Jerome Moore back to This is Nashville. Jerome, thanks for being here. Hey, Khalil, we back at it, man. I can't. I'm, I'm excited. We're back at we're it. We're back at it. All right, okay, so let's talk about this phrase, diversely segregated. Yep.
5: What do you mean when you say that? Well, if you, if you look at this, this, not Nashville, but major cities across the United States, most of them are very diverse but also very segregated. And it's us being in the South, it's no surprise that we're diversely segregated. Um, and all that tells me is like we have to be more intentional about embracing diversity because we're so segregated, right? Because you know many of us are not in diverse communities; we're more in cliques or clusters. Um, we got to figure that out. We got to be intentional about it. Um, and so I had an opportunity to talk with uh, President of National State uh, Community College, uh, Dr. Shawna Jackson, um, and we talked about you know what it means to in, embrace diversity uh, around this whole diversity segregated uh, city that we're in in Nashville. So. We can take a listen to her.
1: Let's take a listen to that first clip.
7: Well, you know, you can talk about it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like often people will hear me say Nashville State is the most racially diverse community college in Tennessee. We serve an urban market, a suburban market, and a very rural market. And so when we think about diversity, it's geography, it's ethnicity, it's not just race and gender. Mm -hmm. It is about embracing the local community where they are, and trying our best to create a sense of belonging so that anybody from anywhere that walks on any of our campuses, they feel welcome, like they belong.
1: You know, she's talking about diversity in different markets, urban, suburban, and rural. In most conversations about diversity, it's usually based upon race or ethnicity. So, you know, to hear Dr. Jackson come from it from a place of class
5: is kind of important. Why is that distinction important to you? Yeah, because I think we got when we talk about embracing diversity goes way past skin color, right? Uh, a lot of times we forget about the diversity of thought, how people are thinking, and that that can be within your own culture, your own ethnic group, your, your own, own family, your own family, your own mm-hmm. community, right? And so uh, we got to expand our our thoughts more broadly when we talk about embracing diversity past just what people look like. Right. Um, And I think that's essential for us being able to embrace diversity, especially in a place like Nashville, where so many things are happening socially. When we talk about perspectives of social change, like the the thought of diversity should should really come to people's mind and figure out how to be intentional about about embracing that.
1: Mm, Yeah. You asked her in this next clip we're going to hear. You asked her, how do we kind combat that in a diversely segregated place? Let's listen.
7: First, you have to want to do that, Mm -hmm. right? And I think if you've got the heart and the passion to do that, then they find people like you. You (laughs) get them introduced to the community, and and I appreciate this opportunity that you're giving me to just have a conversation because some people just can't walk into a community and say, I'm here to learn. I mean, who is this stranger coming in? Um, And I feel that way about Nashville State. I think we have not done the best job of really being... A part of the community I mean it's in our name Mm -hmm. um, but we've been a little too insular in my observation about what are we doing for the students that come here Mm. we are really trying to rethink how we can bring the college to the community
5: she's talking about having the want to engage that's where it starts. You mm-hmm. have to want to do it right. And so if, you, if you're if listening to this, and I want people to wrestle with this as they're listening to it. Are you really embracing diversity? Are you really being intentional about it? Are you being comfortable in the spaces that you're usually in with people that look like you, that think like you, that do the same things as you do? Um, and, and, and that's okay if you do. That's all right. But the problem is once you do that, you can become aware of maybe some implicit biases, some blind spots that you may have, uh, which is... I think impacts community and you can cause intentional harm um, when you're not aware of those implicit biases on bond spots um, when you're not truly embracing diversity.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kalia Lekolona. We're talking this hour with author Jerome Moore for his new segment, Diversely Segregated. Do you think Nashville is diversely segregated? You can share your comments with us at this is Nashville. So, what are steps? That people can take, individuals, everybody listening, from officials like Dr. Jackson to Mm -hmm. regular folks like you and me. Yeah, What are steps that we can take that will not just open our minds, but our hearts and spirits about really, really attempting to be more diverse?
5: Yeah, I think... um I think Dr. Jackson said it. You have to want to do it, so you have to work on yourself and wanting to be able to explore and really embrace diversity. And that can be your next door neighbor. That can be a family member. I know holidays are coming up uh, as well, so you can you can start immediately. You can start today. You know, uh, are you are you really just in your community and, and embracing people one on one and just going home and not really you know really embracing diversity, or have you really taken that extra step to really? Uh, Get to know a different community, ethnic group, a different gender, whatever it may be. Like, are you truly embracing it? And what happens when we do that, right? It leads to coalition building right it leads to collaboration with stakeholders and it really just builds strength within community to combat some of these things that we are you know socially affected by on different levels um so i encourage everybody to try to be intentional about it but you got to want to do it and if you and if you're trying to figure out how to do it you just continue listening to this this show with me and Khalil then we we'll, we'll be your guide for you
1: now you know i know there's examples of people really opening up and I've I've heard after the tornado in 2020, communities from all over came to help each other out. But yeah. it always seems to be in emergency situations where we can be diverse and come together
5: in this coalition, to be a coalition, like you're saying. Like... I think Tennessee as a state is in an emergency, mm. <laughs> right? I think we like socially we. This country is always in an emergency to to build and figure out what we need to do and change. So I feel like this should be an ongoing effort right now. So if you're listening, it's a crisis, it's an emergency right now, and truly embrace diversity, and truly wrestle with that. Because again, once you embrace diversity, what you also get is proximity to different people. Right. Mm-hmm. And what that proximity does, it allows you to be able to empathize with different cultures, ethnic groups, genders, race, when something around social change does happen and impacts that group. Right. If you don't have any type of uh, proximity to that group, it's easy for you to push it to the side and not care about it. But if you're embracing diversity and you're really in proximity with different kinds of people, you can empathize and then get on board and be a, a somewhat of a true ally. Um, and whatever that means to people. But you can become and start to become an ally for different groups and cultures.
1: Now, Dr. Jackson talks about some of the action steps that she's taking at Nashville State. Let's listen.
7: One way we're doing that is we're in partnership with the Urban League of Middle Tennessee. We received an Advancing Workforce Equity Grant through the city where we're actually gonna take courses and programs to the community. And our first pilot is actually at Cathedral of Praise. And so we're really excited about uh, learning from that. Uh, You know, it won't all go perfect and we'll have to monitor and adjust. (laughs) Uh, And then we're working with Dr. White at MDHA to find some of his choosing uh, where he would like for us to to ask and deliver that program. So it's going to the community, becoming a part of it and having, you know, churches open their doors. Because people are comfortable and familiar with them and and giving other people an opportunity to learn and grow yeah, and contribute.
1: We only have a couple minutes left, so I want to ask this. Yeah. How can someone embrace diversity if they don't know how or
5: they've really never been inspired to do so? Yeah, I think the first step is y'all tuned in to this segment today, right? I think you have to become aware and really ask yourself, are you really truly the embracing the diversity of Nashville. And if you find yourself, again, if you find yourself around a lot of people, most people around you that look like you, maybe even speak the same language as you, have the same diversity, uh, same uh, perspective or thought as you, you're probably not truly embracing diversity. You're probably more embracing a clique and clusters. What we want is you to embrace in community. And the difference is between clique and community is community is open, clicks are closed. Mm. And so you can start there and again like keep tuning in and also a special thanks to Dr. Jackson as well for giving me her time to talk about embracing diversity. Who are you planning to talk to next? Uh we I'm we, um, next um Executive Director of uh, Tennessee Justice Center, uh, Michelle Johnson. So we're going to be talking about embracing diversity when it comes to the criminal legal system, criminal justice system, criminal punishment system, however you want to coin it. But we're going to be diving in deep with her. All right. So tell us, how can people get a hold of you to talk about our city being diversely segregated? Well, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Jerome Mailmore and everything. Uh, Feel free to shoot me a message or email. But again, like. Just tap into your community. Like, there's people around you right now that you can be embracing that is diverse from you. And that just goes beyond skin color and race, right? It goes into ethnic diversity of thought. Um, and how people are thinking. So just start there. No, uh, we got we to make Nashville a better Nashville everybody. And to do that, we have to truly, intentionally, every day embrace diversity. One day at a time. One day at
1: a time. Jerome Moore is an author. He's the producer and host of the Deep Dish Conversations podcast. And a producer and host of Slice of the Community with Nashville Public Television. He'll be joining us for the next segment, Diversely Segregated. So stay tuned for that next installment. We have to take a short break. When we come back, comedian, columnist, and entertainer Chris Crofton will visit the Bellwitch Caves for his new segment, Nashville Confidential. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at ThisIsNashville. We'll be right back. Colonna and this is Nashville. Halloween is just around the corner. This, pe- this weekend, people from all over will be set- celebrating at bars and parties, dressed up in their costumes, and having a good time. Party responsibly, y'all. But one of the many legends about hauntings and ghost stories that is home to Tennessee is the Bell Witch Cave. This is something that Chris Crofton was curious about checking out. Chris will be joining us for a new segment we're calling Nashville Confidential. I'll let Chris take it away from here.
2: Remember when Nashville used to be more than stadiums, bars, guns, Airbnbs, and property values? Well, it still is. There's people here too. Nashville Confidential with Chris Crofton, bringing you voices from the streets of Madison to the halls of the legislature, to the rivers of Robertson County. Nashville Confidential. Brought to you by me. This is Nashville. hello and welcome to nashville confidential with chris crofton a new feature on this is nashville on wpln in nashville have i said nashville enough for you probably not there's nothing people in nashville like better than saying nashville over and over again i'll tell you that as a longtime resident there are a few towns that reference itself as much as nashville tennessee and i am in the car on the way to adams tennessee Um, right now you can hear the rain and I remember coming out here in 2003 and it only took like 40 minutes and now there's like a traffic jam on the way to Adams Tennessee Uh, and um, I'm going to see the Bell Witch Cave and if you're you're not familiar with the Bell Witch then I don't know what you've been doing with your life and um, also if you are wondering who I am and why I have a show on This Is Nashville, it's because you might know me from my advice column, The Advice King, which is in the Nashville scene and has been for the last Vanderbilt year. University put out a book of them called The Advice King Anthology that came out in 2022. Um, or you might know me from my old band, Chris Crofton and the Alcohol Stunt Band. Did I already say Best of Bread? I can't remember. Best of Bread, my old radio show on um, WRBU. Or my album that came out in 2018, Hello, It's Me, that got a 7.4 from Pitchfork. Uh, but anyway, I'm on my, on my way to Ad- Tennessee, to interview people at the Bell Witch Cave, so you're going to find out what that's all about, and thanks for listening. Hi, uh, this is Chris Croft, and I'd like to just interject here and tell you a little bit about the Bell Witch story, because uh, we don't really cover it. These interviews became wide-ranging almost immediately. So uh, this woman runs the Bell Witch Cave, which is part of the property of the Bells, who are this family... Who've owned this property since the 19th century? Anyway, in 1821, there was this ghostly happening at this house where this ghost named Kate showed up and um, just started wreaking havoc with this family. Um, you know, and and really, really unbelievable ways, like singing, whispering, yelling, slapping everybody around. Like I'd never heard of anything like this. Like you know, your average ghost doesn't slap people around. So this ghost story stood out to me growing up so this is the property where this 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 very aggressive ghost allegedly was was running around in the early 19th century but this uh, this cave really doesn't play into the story much i mean it was on the property but this is now a sort of roadside attraction uh the bell witch cave but it remains to be seen for me um what exactly goes on in that cave and it's hard to uh pin down My name is Chris Croft, and I'm reporting from the Bell Witch Cave in Adams, Tennessee, and I'm speaking to... Candy Hooten. Candy Hooten, H-O-O-T-E-N? T-O-N. T-O-N, Hooten, H-O-O-T-O-N, and she, her family owns the farm that is part of the old Bell property and has the cave on it, which is right on the Red River, right? Yes. So a long time ago when I drove out to Adams and I was like all excited and I didn't know what I was doing because I was from the north, I got into the Red River to try and swim, yeah. and,
4: uh,
2: I, and I got carried down and, and uh, almost had my um, rear end stripped off my body.
4: Oh, how?
2: Well, it's just a, it was fast moving and very shallow.
4: Yes, that's true. And it was
2: not a good swimming river.
4: No, not really. I didn't
2: know, so I got out of my car, got in the Red River, And was probably telling myself, oh boy, this is where Betsy Bell probably went swimming. Yeah. Which is probably incorrect.
4: (laughs) Very possible.
2: And then I was thinking that mostly I was probably just getting a lot of agricultural runoff. Right? I mean, it's not like you want to jump into every river. That's really more of a question I have about rivers. Um,
4: (laughs) But anyway, I'm so happy. Did
2: you grow up knowing this story?
4: Yes, I was born and raised in Nashville or Madison, Tennessee.
2: That's where I live now.
4: Oh, really? I
2: I, I live in Madison. I love Madison.
4: My parents found the farm for sale in the Thrifty Nickel in Nashville.
2: I remember the Thrifty Nickel. (laughs) Editor's Editor's note. Note, Note, The Thrifty Nickel was like a little uh, classified ad newspaper. Like before Craigslist, you bought these little newspapers at the gas station that the advertised things for for sale, and that was uh, the Thrifty Nickel.
4: They We moved here when I was 12, and I had heard of the story of the Bell Witch, even though everything I had heard was not correct. It, what had you heard? It, it was like if you go in the bathroom and turn around and say you hate the Bell Witch, show up here in the mirror and scratch your face, that sort of thing. Right, I've done that. I've
2: done that thing, and, and nothing happened. But I'm still kind of nervous talking about it.
4: Yeah, I can see why. The story of the Bell Witch... Goes back two hundred years, and it it's scary to try to put yourself in the shoes of the Bells. Yeah, I mean, this story stood out because of
2: how violent the ghost was, and how and the ghost talked and sang, allegedly. Eventually, killed John Bell with some sort of substance that was in a black or or was a black substance in a vial that when they threw it in the fire, it the fire roared. So this all appealed to me very much. I grew up in a town outside of New York City where everybody was a stockbroker, so you can only imagine how exciting all this sounded. I can imagine. And now I'm here. I'm here on the property. Just to set the scene, it's raining. I think you can hear it if you're listening. And I'm sitting here on this beautiful farm in this little wood cabin or on the, on the porch or deck of this little cabin, which is like the gift shop. And then we're right near the, the cave, right? Yes. Are you frightened right now?
4: No, I'm kind of used to being here a lot. <laughs> Are you
2: more afraid of the Bell Witch or out of town developers?
4: Probably the out of town developers.
2: Me too. <laughs> um, Me too.
3: Um,
2: is there a Starbucks in 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 Adams? No,
4: no. Do you want one? No, I I can suffer with going to Clarksville for Starbucks, but there is a Dollar General and. Um, a few restaurants that stay open till about one thirty in the afternoon. Okay, well, that
2: sounds nice to me. It's very beautiful out here, and I would r- encourage people to come out to the Bell Witch Cave. I took the tour, and now here's an interesting question for you, Candy. When I took the tour last time, whoever was giving the tour, which was possibly you, in probably 2004, I said, had anything haunted ever happened in the cave, And whoever was giving the tour said, not really. And then, but they said that there was a time in their house that a screw from a fixture in the ceiling of their kitchen had gone missing and was never found. Was that you?
4: That actually happened to my mom. And she was changing the globe on the light and she dropped one of the screws and she watched to see where it went. And then when she got down and went to get it, it wasn't there. And weeks later, after she had swept and mopped and people going in and out, she walked into the door one day and there, it laid right there in the middle of the floor. So that was
2: you, it had to be you telling that story because it was a young person. Okay, so you probably don't remember. That was 20 years ago, but I remember just because, you know, I'd never been to the Bell Witch Cave, so I picked up on what was going on. And I just thought it was funny because you were sort of like, I don't know. You seemed kind of bored. You know, we we went in the cave and you were kind of like, yeah, this is the cave. I was like, anything haunted ever happened? You're like, not really. But there was a time where my mom, uh, one of the screws from her light fixture. And I just thought that was such an interesting tour. But I wonder in the last 20 years if the tour has gotten fancier in any way.
4: There has been a lot happening in the cave over the years. Noises, voices. Sometimes you get into the back room of the cave and it'll sound like people is talking. Sometimes it's the water running that sounds like voices, but other times it's not because it's not consistent like the water is. Um, Other times the voices are louder to where it's very distinct that it's not the water can you ever hear what they're saying on occasion you can there was one time i was in the cave and heard somebody say my name in front of me going down a hallway when the group was behind me it was almost like somebody was right in my face and went candy oh my god that shook me up i let the rest of the group go first I know that's bad as a tour guide, but it, I let the rest of the—I was like, here, let me shine the light for you, y'all, go ahead, because it, it shook me up. But um, That makes sense to
2: me, because they weren't asking about—they were asking about you, so yeah. I would send the people who aren't me ahead. Yeah. They're, Um, Were they okay? Did anything happen to them? One of my favorite ghost stories is my my friend's house is haunted in Rhode Island. In the middle of the night, they'll be like crashing all over the kitchen, right? And then there's no one else home except for the dad. And then the dad says to my friend, man, if you're gonna come in and borrow tools, tell me ahead of time and don't do it at three o'clock in the morning. And then my friend says, I didn't do that. I didn't borrow your stupid tools. And they have these big fights and I have to watch. And I know that they're both crazy because they're constantly, like, who put my wrench on the roof? Because I guess their ghost is always taking stuff. Does that ever happen? Like, do things go missing besides that screw in the kitchen? Like, did you ever come to the gift shop and there's like no gifts in it?
4: I actually heard a story about Bellwood Cemetery up here in Adams, where um, the guy that sets up the tents and things for the funeral mm-hmm. he was up there working and stopped and ran got him some lunch and when he came back one of the poles for the tent or something to that effect mm-hmm. was like up in the tree <laughs> and he said nobody could have thrown yep. that up there but yeah. when he came back
2: the pole was that's why stuff it's sometimes the most mundane stuff but you just know for a fact And then some scientist will be like, oh, well, maybe the wind blew the pole. You know what I mean? And you're like, no way. I've been around these poles my whole life. That's what I hate the worst, is when some scientist tries to ruin it. (laughs) You know what I mean? But also when they're obviously wrong, like there's no wind that put my hammer in the basement. Is this your daughter that's sitting right here? Yes. And what's her name? Kara. Kara, would you like to say hi? Uh, Hi. Uh... Does anyone talk about the Bell Witch in high school or is that pretty lame?
8: no not really other than my english teacher that's yeah. probably it she'll be in class and then just randomly mention it and then she'll look at me and ask me a question about it
2: oh yeah are you a local celebrity because of the Bellwich cave
8: <sighs> you know once they find out kind of
2: <laughs> wow do they ever say like can i get half half off a tour
8: no none of the locals really come over here None of them I don't think have really been, like, on a tour.
2: Really? Who comes on the tours, then?
8: People from everywhere else but here.
2: Like, from where is the furthest away? Like, do people come from Nashville, mainly, or do they come from Clarksville, or do they come from, like, Los Angeles, or...?
8: All over the world. All over the world? From France, England, Germany, China, everywhere.
2: Okay. So what do you mostly like to do out here in Adams?
8: I like walking around the farm.
2: You walk around the land and then you, and you do farm?
8: Eh, not really. I'm more like, look at the flowers and...
2: That's nice. Oh, so you're into like botany. Sure. Saying goodbye to Candy and Kara, I uh, walked over to the replica of the Bell's cabin where I uh, spoke with Candy's older daughter, Kaylee. Let me just peek in this, uh cabin which is an exact replica of the John Bell cabin so I think these mannequins are frightening huh
4: yeah we thought about putting a spring on one of them and just like that's a good idea but we don't want someone to have an actual heart attack that's the problem
2: no that reminds me of the time I gave my grandmother one of those um you know those like uh, things where a can or a snake comes out of it
4: oh yeah yeah
2: I gave my grandmother a cold cream uh, one time when I was a kid that I bought at a novelty shop and a big snake came out of it, and she almost died for real.
4: Yeah, they have those little wooden things where you slide it and a rat comes up and it looks like it bites your hand. yeah,
2: yeah those are you got to be careful with those yeah. things. Do you know how much you could rent this cabin for in Nashville? I would you,
4: could love probably, an you could probably
2: get five grand a month for this thing, even with the mannequins.
4: We thought about having cabins on the farm, but it's a lot of liability, and it's our own farm. It's not like publicly owned. it's privately owned. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, I'm not recommending it.
4: Well, we've had a lot of people, why don't you have cabins out here? I mean, we thought about it, but I would love to, uh, speaking of Nashville, I would love to own an Airbnb in Nashville. I know they make, and besides, like, the, how much it would cost to buy the place, they would, I know they would be booked up 24-7, 365.
2: You don't want them in your neighborhood, though. Then you got a bunch of people, like, throwing up on your dog.
4: And loud music, and...
2: I mean, it's crazy. You got your neighbors going crazy because they're, they're from some other state where they don't want to do this kind of stuff, you know? They come to Nashville and right. throw up on everybody's mailbox. Oh, I believe it. Well, I think this is great, and I really appreciate you giving us a little tour. Yeah,
8: well, I'm glad
4: y'all came out. Thank
2: you so much, Kaylee. You as well. Anyway, I'm very grateful. Let me get your names one more: Candy Hooten, Kara. So grateful. Thanks for listening, and happy Halloween from all of us at This Is Nashville and Nashville Confidential with Chris Crofton. Happy Halloween.
1: Many, many thanks to Chris Crofton for that trip to the Bell Witch Cave. And quick note, listen, y'all, the fourth annual Fitness Crawl to Fight Breast Cancer is about to wrap up. So you need something you really need to be involved with. So to find out more, just go ahead and check them out at Fit Crawl to Fight Breast Cancer. That's at Fit Crawl to Fight Breast Cancer. That's the number two and not the word again. Want to offer deepest, deepest thanks to Chris, Croft, Chris Crofton for that trip to the Bell Witch Cave. Many thanks for Nicole to Nicole Moore for Nicole Williams. Pardon me for the Inside Council Chambers Second Edition and Jerome Moore for bringing us diversely segregated. They'll all be joining us very, very soon. And thanks to you all to listen. Don't forget we're about to have another episode coming up right after this. So. Thanks to everybody for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by yours truly. It was directed by Magnolia McKay. Laura Boach is our technical director. The live tweeting and a little bit of Council Chambers voiceover was handled by Elizabeth Burton. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Namir Blade. Special thanks again to Nicole Williams, Jerome Moore, and Chris Crofton, Rob Sanchez, Carrie Bajetta, Jason moon Wilkins. Thank you all so much. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org, where Wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. You can tweet us at This is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. And also, like I said, keep, keep, keep listening. We'll be back the next hour with WPLN senior reporter Mariba Knight, who will unveil the first episode of her new podcast after years of reporting. This is something you all don't want to miss. Stay tuned. We love you. We'll see you soon.